Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today I'll be chatting with Henry Kaysner, co-founder and managing principal at Sovereign's Capital. So stay tuned. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning back in to a Guys Like Us episode. I'm excited to announce that today I'll be chatting with Henry Kaysner, who is now the co-founder and managing principal at Sovereign's Capital, which is a private equity fund that invests in Christian faith entrepreneurs in US and Southeast Asia. He is also the co-founder at Bandwidth.com, which is a telecommunications company where he served as CEO uh, from 2001 to 2008 company was the fourth fastest growing privately held company in the country from 03 to 07. Um, but besides all these statistics, he finds his identity in Christ. And in this podcast, he shares about his personal walk, uh, in particular from ages 28 to, to where he is now. He shares a bit more about the concept of giving and finding your identity in Christ and giving. Um, he's come to a deeper understanding on, on the concept and the responsibility uh, as being a child of God. God owns it all, but when we give it all, we can experience real fulfillment. God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. And when looking at potential companies to invest in for Sovereign's Capital, one part that Henry looks for is for people who are intentional about their faith. More often than not, the people in the companies um, are actually struggling with their identity, and, and that's the truth. Um, So let us equip entrepreneurs who have untapped potential to make great change and impact. He talks about how entrepreneurs in the marketplace really have an unfair advantage um, that they have to seek out. I'm just looking forward to this episode today and hope that you all will find some value and even just one small takeaway um, is good enough for me. So let's turn on over to my conversation with Henry. Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. And today I'm joined with Henry Kaysner, Managing Principal at Sovereign's Capital, a private equity fund focused on making investments in companies in the United States and also Southeast Asia. He is also the co-founder, former CEO, and now current board member at bandwidth.com, a telecommunications firm based in North Carolina. Uh, but, but besides all that on paper, he is a disciple of Christ and is encouraging faith-led on entrepreneurs to live out their God-given gifts. Um, so without further ado, Henry, thanks for joining guys like us today. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How, how I like to kick off is by opening up in a prayer and then we can, uh, we can get, get into the conversation. So I can open us up right now. Please. Father, thanks for bringing... Henry and I together today, excited and, and blessed and, and just, you know, all these emotions that are really pouring into me right now and um, in anticipation for our conversation, knowing that uh, it will be led by your spirit and by the the works that you have done in both of our lives. And as I, you know, aspire to or and learn more about Henry, I, I can see all the, the fruits of, of his labor that that you have produced and and everything that he has done so far, but but knowing that that is just um, a, a small seed that is continuing to be sown, and and how we continue to to build up 
um, ourselves, but but also build up one one, one another. Um, as your greatest commandment was to love love God and love one another, that's that's our focus uh, for this conversation is to to have it based out of love and to 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 explain the the full context of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Uh, so with this, I pray, Amen. 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 All right, great. Well, that was uh, gave you a, a bit more of an introduction there. Um, I know that's you know that's uh, a few highlights of what you you know what you do on paper, and I, I just wanted to kind of know at a, a deeper level just what your what your per- personal mission is um, here on Earth. Yes, my personal mission on Earth, and this is going to sound a little pithy uh, and maybe cliche, but it's nonetheless it's my personal mission. It's to know God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, as a subset of that, I want to be able to be uh, an awesome disciple. I want to be an awesome husband. I want to be an awesome father. And then I, partic- uh, I feel particularly called and led to work with Christ-following entrepreneurs and faith-driven entrepreneurs that are all about doing their business for the glory of God and helping them to sort through hmm. some of the challenges that they might otherwise uh, come across as they try to understand what does that look like and how does that work itself out in the workplace and chaplaincy and prayer and firing people and all that kind of stuff. That's where I feel particularly energized and encouraged and, and so that's my mission. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. It sounds like you're a great person to talk to then as I'm, uh, as, as I'm walking in that stage right now. Um, well, well, great. Uh, I want to know, you, you mentioned, um, especially for, you know, faith led and Christian, Christian entrepreneurs. Um, well, you know, what, why Christian, you know, can you, can you take us back to when you first became Christian and when faith really became an, an integral part in, of your life? Yeah, that's easy to do. So for the first 28 years of my life, uh, if you stopped me at any point in time alongside the road and asked me if I believed in God, I would have said yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet, uh, that wasn't uh, a major part of my life at all. And I had an intellectual understanding about what it meant uh, for Christmas and Easter um, and the concept of Jesus dying for my sins. Mm-hmm. And yet, at no level had that really sunk it into my heart. And so it was 28, I stumbled into a church uh, with my fiancé at the time, and, and uh, we uh, looked at each other and were thinking about leaving because it was clearly one of those born-again churches, which for us growing up was not a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I was completely fascinated by this pastor who clearly believed that the book of the Bible was true. And over a period of time of about a year, of uh, reading through the New Testament a couple times, uh, the Holy Spirit worked in my life in such a way that I came to understand that it was true, and that if it was true, of course, it changed everything. So that was 28 when it happened for me, and also happened for my bride. And then I set out uh, and made a commitment that everything I do from then on out would be uh, focusing on bringing God glory in everything I did, and that uh, the time of trying to do things just for myself had evaporated. Of course, it's never that easy, and you have some sinful tendencies on dying as quickly as you'd like. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, uh, that's uh, that was my encounter with the real personal faith that happened in 28. Great. So at age, I want to I want to zoom in there a little bit. Um, you mentioned that you you know if somebody asked you pulled you over on the side of the road and asked if you believe in God, you say yes. And yeah, I, I think when yeah. when we look at statistics of where our country stands right now, you know, people would associate, uh, 
you know, a, a high percentage would say that they believe in God. Um, but I think it takes a bit more, um, a personal reflection and, and, and an investigation into your, into your, into your faith to really, I think, turn the leaf into something, into, into something that is a, a lot more meaningful and, it really shows the the full character of God too, and so this this one moment sounds like it was kind of a turning point for you. Um, you know, from there, was it something that that you were kind of sold from the get go, or was this something that this was kind of the, the the spark, and then you were able to to further kind of seek and and continue your your walk? You know, how how did you kind of how did you move forward and start to answer this calling that you had from this night? Well, it was, um, it, it happened over the course of a year, so I can't point it. So many people can and say, well, mm-hmm. it was December 3rd, 1998 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there became a point in time where, uh, and I'd say it's over the course of a couple months, um, uh, both in reading through scripture and then also talking to a really patient associate pastor where I can't really understand that, oh my goodness, this is true, and if it's true, it changes everything. Yep. I now need to leave, uh, live my life focused on God, and then it really, it did really change. My trajectory, in kind of my central point of life, uh, became uh, infused with this concept of the most important thing in life is a relationship with God, where, while I believed in God before, that was just one of eight or nine different things that was kind of just out there, Uh, and at no point in time did a relationship with God have any type of real primacy was really, really easy to push him aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really think that while I have clearly been less than holy in a lot of aspects of my life in the ensuing 20 years since I, since I came to faith, uh, I really think that every day I've endeavored to say, I know it's true. I know it really matters. And today I'm going to try to live my life in a way that will help bring me closer to knowing the living God. Mm-hmm. And again, some days I, I think that I do... Sometimes I feel like I uh, manage to not mess up very much. Some days I feel that pride or different sinful tendencies infuse my life too much. So I'm clearly not perfect. Mm-hmm. And yet, each and every day really since then, I've endeavored to have a missional focus in my life. Mm. Awesome. And, and, and something you mentioned there is... It's just how how many different things can be pulling at you, right? You said just like one of nine. or There's a lot of things that can can grab our attention. And I, I really like that, the line you said, if this is true, it changes everything. And I, I've, I've heard that from, um, you know, from several folks now, and it's, uh, it's resonated with me. And it, it starts to, you know, th- think about the magnitude that that this w- what being a Christian is. Um, and, and with that comes, you know, great responsibility, too. And this is a topic I want to get a bit into because when I, when I look at your background and what you're doing today between faith, business, family, and mentoring, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, and I, as we get older, we, we kind of assume more responsibility in different parts of our life. Um, and I, I just want to read a, a verse from scripture here that kind of will help position this, uh, this question I have. Um, so Luke 12, 48 uh, it, it, it goes as follows from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So with that, with that being said, you know, it's how, how do you live in, 
you know, un- understanding that there that there is responsibility and that you're called to to act on this responsibility in, in a in a you know Christ-like way. How do you live in responsibility through the different areas of of your life that are you know the most pivotal and most important to you? Yeah, you know, I, I love the fact you brought up that passage. I actually had that passage printed out shortly after coming to faith. I had that passage printed out and put next to my computer. And I've got to tell you that uh, as so much, this is often the case with God's Word, there's some, some beautiful ways to look at, uh, look at that message. But I will tell you that one of the ways that mm-hmm. I looked at it for too long was, uh, was not helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm an entrepreneur, and I work hard. And so... Uh, if from time to time I kind of drift off of my thoughts and I want to check out ESPN.com or something like that, I say, you know, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put this verse right next to me because, um, it, and you'll recall that right before that it talks about the person who doesn't deliver will be beaten with many blows. And I was thinking, I don't want to be beaten with many blows. Don't look at ESPN. Show how much is given, much is expected, and make sure you just continue to operate uh, and do it really, really hard. The challenge with that, where I was in my spiritual development, was one where it kind of led to workspace righteousness a little bit. And almost, and don't get me wrong, if somebody gave me a true false test along the way, I probably would not have answered it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was living and thinking and believing in a way that would betray not completely understanding the doctrine of grace. So I had clearly been given much, much was expected. When I delivered, I thought that God was pleased mm-hmm. and I was earning his favor. And there's a challenge with that, and that uh, that that type of work success can become part of your identity. You can have almost a slightly warped theology, which can lead a successful person who much is given. It can make them think as if uh, God needs them uh, to be successful. And so, uh, one of the one of the challenges that I see with a lot of our portfolio companies is a challenge in identity. Uh, with a person who much has been given, uh, and they come to understand that much has been expected they um, tend to find that their identity is being the person who is the successful entrepreneur or the person who's growing at 20% month over month or the person that just closed a big deal with Google or just did a $20 million funding round. And that's kind of an insidious type of thing. They feel like they've been given much and now they're starting to deliver a lot. And, um, and I find that people's lives in my life at that time, when I had that verse printed out next to my computer, was characterized by a certain level of anxiety that wasn't healthy was betrayed the fact that my identity was not as a beloved child of God, but my identity was the person who uh, was the fast-growing entrepreneur. And it wasn't until I really came to this understanding that actually God didn't need me to be successful. So here's the way that I look at that verse a little bit more, mm. and it's a little bit more helpful in my life. So I talked to you about coming to faith at 28. At 38, I had what I would call my born-again-again moment, where a new friend of mine had come to understand that Kim and I were starting to give more and more money away to charity, and we came across his radar screen somehow. And he said, so I understand where you're giving and how you're giving, but Henry, why do you give? And it's that simple question that kind of sent me reeling. And up until then, you know, we were probably giving away 20% of our income. Uh, we have been giving a lot. I thought we got an opportunity to give back, but... In back of my heart, I probably felt like, you know what? Uh, there's probably a special place in heaven for the double title. Uh, you get box seats angels games or something like that. But it wasn't until I really then spent time in Scripture, and this is the way that 
read in the Bible becomes about money or abundance or what you've been given. So getting back to your birth, too much has been given. And it wasn't until I really understood that I would become most alive in my relationship to him when I gave it all, when I came to understand he owned it all and that he wanted all of me, not 10% of me, not 20% of me, but all of me. And so I had been given a lot and he had entrusted me with a lot and he wanted it all, but not in a way that forced me to begrudgingly give. But as I started to give more and more, I came, figured, found counterintuitively that I became more and more alive in my faith and had much more joy. So you would mm. think that you start giving one more way, you wouldn't uh, experience the same type of fellowship with God, but you do, and uh, you end up looking forward to it. So uh, that's, gosh, that's an awfully long-winded answer to your question about that Bible verse. But it resonates with me because it's actually a Bible verse that I think I've misinterpreted for too much of my life that led me to fear God in an unhealthy way. Now, we're all to fear God, but it had me fear him in an unhealthy way and led to me having the wrong type of identity, fearing this guy who beat me with many blows versus a God who had loved me so much and came to understand that as I gave, a, as I understood that he gave it away to me, and ultimately he owns it to a certain extent, mm-hmm. that I become more alive. So I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes That's sense. No, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. There was a, a sermon I, I heard um, several months back, kind of on the cop concept of giving, and you know, not gonna memorize it word for word, but there's this there's this notion that it's kind of a mindset shift of, you know, he as you said, he already he already owns it, you know, and it, it's he's been he's given something to you, so it's just like you're you're just like get you're giving you're giving back what's already been given given from him. I, I don't know if I'm if, if I'm making making sense yeah, of that. Yeah, he's given it to us. Well, he's given it to us the story. And so um, he's entrusted it in, of course, the other the biblical passage that will help us with this is the, the parable of the talents. It's the three servants that have been given minors or talents, and, and uh, they're supposed to, they're entrusted with investing them properly. And I mm-hmm. think it's, of course, the same illustration applies here. Mm-hmm. So much has been given. We've been given a concept. God so loved the world that he gave. The, the whole Bible is about generosity and giving. But when we come to understand that he owns it all, but then when we give it all back to him, his, back to him, we experience real joy and real fulfillment. At least that's the way it works in my life. In mm-hmm. my personal faith journey, I went from a works-based righteousness, thinking that God might need my money and my success to fund his ministries don't understand that actually there's this guy who took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000. So he actually doesn't need my money. You know, he fed 5,000 out of nothing, so he doesn't need my money. He can fund any ministry. He just wants my heart. Mm-hmm. And he's given me so much, and, and it's, I will become fully alive in my faith when I recognize that and respond in God. Absolutely, and I th- I think that also speaks on the the response of of and, and how you respond to these gifts, right? And it, it's it, as we see in scripture, you know, um, things can grow or multiply thirty, sixty, and sometimes a hundred times, um, you know, or, or exponential growth in in, in what we and what in, in our output, and it it's and it, it's important to. To think about how we invest and in, in the people we invest in, the, in the places we invest in, or you know, in the companies we invest, 
and kind of bringing this back kind of into your, your day-to-day life, um, in 2000, 2001, you started the journey of bandwidth.com, a company that ended up being the fourth largest privately held company in, in 03 to 08. Um, but what I want to focus on there is, is really, is that, is the element of growth and a, you know, what, what can you attribute to this, you know, overwhelming growth and, and, and how was that seed sown? I want to get back to something actually you just said, because I think it's really important. I think it speaks into the way that God worked in my life. You were studying uh, passages from the parable of the sower, where it talks about a 30 or 60 or 90-fold increase from the return on that seed that's planted. Mm-hmm. But the scenario right before that, of course, is that a seed was planted, it started growing, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches kept it from being able to really bear fruit. And that is where my life was before 38. So from 28 to 38, my seed had been planted, it was growing. But the word is in the world, and the deceitfulness of riches. Mm. And, and I was giving 20%. So you know, many people, most people maybe thought I was being generous. But really what was happening was the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches were perilously close from strangling me out lending me to a works-based righteousness and a misplaced identity. Fortunately, through God's Holy Spirit and His words spending time and my Bible reading every day, I get freed from that. And my hope, of course, is that He might use me to have a harvest for His kingdom. But uh, my, my guess is that most of the people listening to this podcast are successful and to some extent performance-oriented and that they didn't mm-hmm. give it much. I just really want to make sure that that I leave with you, that one big thing that God has told me over the last 20 years, has taught me over the last 20 years, is He just, he just wants me. And, uh, and, and not to fall into the, the idols of success that the world would otherwise provide. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. what, was, what was the last question you asked me? No, I, I appreciate that. First of all, I, I think, um, and this is something you mentioned earlier, that the idea of um, like a, a work theology, almost as we we look at work as as something that is the that is our idol or is our god, and that we're in our success. I, I think a lot of us think that our success is tied into the the amount of work that we do, and the and in particular the the results of the work that we that we do, and and that's and you know and 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 we're and if if we see good good results in the work that we do that's because we're 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 responding well and and we have kind of put our we, we have so we have sowed our scene on good on good soil but just to kind of reiterate what you're saying it's it, that's that's not always or you know you haven't seen that that's always true because you you we, we might see big financial gain or see something that that looks to be really good on paper but might not always be or show the true character of one's heart, and it's 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 important to kind of discern the difference of 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 output and what kind of something always looks like um, to actually really what it's kind of playing in for the long term and and the heart of the person that is doing that work or that is doing you know performing that ministry. Is that does that make sense? Is that correct? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Um, and, and the other question I, I just wanted to ask is, um, just as the, as your, as the company was growing and, um, 
as really as it started to blossom and bloom, um, I just want you to kind of walk through what this growth looked like. How, how was that? Was that seed sown in a good way? And really, what were some what were some key takeaways during this period? So this is um, this is from thirty eight on in terms of my my uh, my personal spiritual growth, or in terms of the growth of the company, or, or yeah. What? So from from two thousand three to two thousand eight. Uh, with with bandwidth.com. Yeah, got it. So uh, yeah, the growth was 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 awesome, um, and it was a wonderful thing to be a part of. And uh, the growth story was that Dave and I had some money from some prior exits, and we went out and we tried to to find a business model we thought was really going to work, and we made some pivots, and and uh, ultimately uh, we spun through spent through all the cash we had over the first three years. And so we went out, as so many good entrepreneurs will do, and went out to Sand Hill Road out here in Northern California where I live now, and right, and we went up and down and uh, Sand Hill Road and, and uh, would typically not talk about our culture, which was faith first, then family, mm-hmm. then work, and then fitness. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that on the first visit, and we surely didn't have fish on our business cards. But when we came around to the second or third visit, we would tell them about our culture. And we would tell them that we wanted to hire a guy in the workplace. And we might do things like pray before board meetings. But we also made it really clear that we're going to hire the best person for the job. And that we were uh, not going to have a holy huddle. But nonetheless, we wanted them to understand our culture. Um, well, we, um, as you might imagine, we got a lot of blank stares. And I really think that in a worst-case scenario, I think we may have been prejudiced against. Best-case scenario, we're probably just misunderstood. But we went over 40 in races. And we had to go back to some friends and family uh, in a humbling way, which is probably perfect for me where I was then, to be able to, to ask people to invest in the company. And it was humbling for me because I'd had a successful exit before, but I'd spent all the money. So I had to go back to folks and, and ask them for money, and uh, but it's just a little bit. Um, but God used that, and we ended up uh, we ended up growing. And we came out. There was a pivotal point actually where. Uh, you know, a fund, I'm sorry, a fund like ours that is based on faith as its core pinnacle for its values, uh, of course, cannot deal with the adult entertainment business. Um, and I mention that because that was actually the largest industry that consumed bandwidth. We sold bandwidth, and they were the biggest buyers of it. Hmm. And, of course, if your faith is important, you can't do business with the bad guys, and they were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, at a point in time where we were really at our lowest cash point, even after we raised the friends and family around, um, we came across the deal where the sales rep closed it. And I remember, uh, I remember giving my partner a high five and how much it stung. He's a former Marine. When we give you a high five, you remember it. And I remember it as a very big deal, biggest deal we'd ever closed. Mm-hmm. The sales rep had worked on it for a couple months. And, but, uh, as you might imagine where this is going, um, even though it was closed in the name of a holding company, we ended up finding out before installation that it was for the bad guys. Mm-hmm. So we had an ethical dilemma. Now, the ethical dilemma was not whether you installed or not. We knew we could. I mean, you can't, again, you can't have faith as your pinnacle and then go do, do business with guys like that. But the ethical dilemma we had was whether we compensate the sales rep. We'd done everything we trained them to do. It worked really hard. It was counting on his commission check. And we really felt that the right thing at the time was to pay him. And so a point in time where we had the lowest amount of cash, we paid the biggest commission check. And from that point on, for the next five years, we effectively grew from zero million to just shy of $100 million. And we were the, the fourth fastest 
fastest growing privately held company uh, in the country. And mm-hmm. we did that. That was a growth rate that we got without any type of outside venture raise. That was without making acquisitions. And, and so God bless that. That was a time of obviously lots of growth. When you go from uh, from zero to just shy of 100 and uh, from probably 20 employees to 250 employees, it was a time of a lot of growth. And I learned a tremendous amount. Uh, as about being an entrepreneur and a manager during that mm-hmm. time. Uh, I learned a lot about my faith and how important it was to rely on God. When you see God work through your business uh, at a point in time where you think that you've run out of money and you see him bless that, it does increase your reliance on God. And yet at the same time, there are lots of times where I felt like we are walking through the valley of shadow of death. But uh, I knew uh, in my heart and then through my with my and fellowship with my partner, that we were doing something that was really important and that we were looking to glorify him each and every day. And mm-hmm. we had this opportunity to look to bless our employees and look to pray with those that were, were uh, didn't yet share our faith and hopefully in a culturally appropriate way out of love and relationship and gentleness and respect. And we also had an opportunity to bring on board a corporate chaplain. And uh, So business grew um, and, uh, and then our own personal faith grew as well. Mm-hmm. So question on that how, how old or what age were you from 2000 you know 2000 to 2008 what was that was that part of the of your time you know before you hit the age of of 38 when you started to when your faith took an, a new way yeah, in terms of how you given yep wow okay it was. it was really the first 10 years of my faith really before i had this born again moment so you know my faith was increasing my 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 walk with the lord was increasing but then what happens also with growth is you start getting a lot of money. And we're starting to get a lot of money. So, you know, coming out of that period, uh, Kimberly and I, my wife and I, was able to give a lot of money away. And you get the recognition and appreciation when you start writing big checks. And if you're not careful, it can really start going to you. There's a lot to the whole right-hand, left-hand thing. And that was the point in time where money was perilously close to becoming an idol. And maybe it became an idol. Mm-hmm. It was insidious. I think if you stopped me when I was 37 and said, is money the root of all evil? I would have said, yes, it is. But uh, just the way that God worked in my life, he was able at age 38 through that buddy of mine asking that question, why do you give? That again, I was brought back to scripture and I came to understand a more fuller theology of mm-hmm. God loving me so much that he gave. It's out of gratitude for that gift that I give. It's not a pay it forward thing and it's not a belief because I think that he needs me to do his work. I don't think he needs me for anything. Mm-hmm. He just wants me. And somehow Justin, that's a nuance and maybe it only makes sense to me, but mm-hmm. that changed my walk with him and became that other pivotal point um, in my faith journey. But it- to answer your question, Odell, is the period of time of rapid growth. Now, the grace of God becoming has continued to grow really rapidly. Uh, since that time, but during that phase of growth, uh, it was uh, before thirty-eight. Mm. So, how do you think? You know, if you were given that advice at age twenty-eight, uh, th- th- just that simple question of why do you give? How do you think that would have changed the the trajectory of the next ten years to follow? If I was given that at twenty-eight, how would that have? Uh, you know, I think it would have had less anxiety in my life. Yeah. I think, you know, 28 to 30 is the time where I had the, you're going to be beaten with many blows verse right on my computer. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that I experienced full joy 
during that decade in a way uh, that I might otherwise have. Now, everything works in God's perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if I had understood the biblical message of generosity more early in my faith walk, then I think I would have had less anxiety during that decade. But I think they were all on a journey. Yeah. Uh, and we're on a journey to know God. And, and I presume that now at age 48, that there are no things at age 58 that I wish I knew at 48. And that's just, that's you know, is. I, I don't yeah. think God unveils everything to everybody instantaneously. Mm. Uh, and yet he does, right? I mean, at 28, he did, he revealed a whole lot to me instantaneously, and that allowed me to commit my life to him. And yet he continues to work, and, you know, you love reading the, the work of John Stott and others that, you know, became you know, older and wiser, and uh, I fully expect that I'll grow in my faith and my walk with him, and I've come to understand him more fully, and uh, and it's and in his perfect timing, he doesn't rush that along anymore. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and and next, next question I had is, I want to, I want to think about, um, just this, this idea of just like high growth potential. I know I've been kind of harping on this um, but I want to kind of take it more to, uh, I, from your understanding, um, both a company perspective and from a person perspective too, when you think about, you know, faith-led entrepreneurs, um, but then also the, the companies that you work with at Sovereign's Capital. So, at so- you know, at, at the at your company right now, you you assess firms that are on, you know, at tipping points of scale and in industries with high growth potential. So when we kind of think about this, more this process from a faith perspective um how first first question is how do you identify um people or companies that are kind of at this point where they can start to make an impact um you know that is quite exponential um well i so a bunch of different answers to that question so the probably the primary answer is that most of them find us Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, probably the largest fund that invests in faith-driven entrepreneurs um, worldwide. And the, money, the, the word kind of gets out, that they're these guys who are really serious about their faith, and they want to come along and encourage people. And so they, they kind of find us. Mm-hmm. Now, once uh, beyond that, you know, which ones you decide to invest in, there's, uh, there's some amount of, there's some amount of uh, ourselves that we look for in somebody, uh, uh, maybe where we were on the same part of the journey. And part of that's pragmatic because at a stage of the company that we remember having made some mistakes and remember doing some things right, we think we can add value to them in their business. Uh, but we look for a combination of identity, somebody who's looking to be able to run a business for the glory of God, uh, but they may not know exactly what that means. Uh, sometimes we do invest in people who've like got it completely figured out, and I learned so much from them spiritually. Um, but we don't need to have that all the time. We just need to have somebody who has an intentionality about building a business for the glory of God. Sometimes we'll invest in a company where the guy is a committee quite far, but he owns up and says, you know, I got to tell you, probably most of my employees don't know that I'm a Christian. But I want to be really intentional about bringing God glory in the marketplace. We will absolutely look to invest in that company if they hit on the other criteria. We want to. We believe that Christian-led businesses, faith-driven businesses, can compete and win, and so we think that a fund that invests in them should compete and win as well. Mm-hmm. And so that means we need to have excellence. We need to see excellence in the businesses we invest in. It means we also need to see an intentionality about uh, building a business and a culture that glorifies God. Because yeah, 
perfect, perfect. And then um, kind of once once this process uh, of you know ad- identifying and then um, figuring out if they're you know if they meet some of the criteria and, and are would be a good fit for um, you know to invest in how how do you partner in them and and if you can kind of make parallels between how you partner in an organization and how you partner with an individual who is looking to grow in their personal faith walk as well. Yeah, so we look to we look to help a, a business by being an active minority. So we want to uh, we recognize that an entrepreneur has a calling from God, and it's going to be most fulfilled when they're not working for somebody else. So we want to be a great encourager. We want to be a great counselor. We want to be a great help. Mm-hmm. Uh, our uh, background is as operators, and so. We do get geeked out on things like turn by cohort and intellectual property and challenging market. So we try to offer all of that up, all that experience up to the companies we work with and with the hope that that will help them and help our LPs get a good return. But uh, it, this, again, is something that's run by the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, twice a year, we work with the company and uh, don't talk about business at all. Mm-hmm. To be clear, 90% of the time we talk about business. It's just, again, it's what got it gets to the thing. But twice a year, we try not to talk about business, but talk about their spiritual development instead. And we've got a um, we've got a matrix that we call it that goes through a number of different areas of uh, spiritual development, from uh, church attendance and being a member of an active faith community. Uh, we also look at what does it look like to be part of a small group. We look at the biblical message of generosity. We look at, at things like uh, what are they doing to be an active participant in the local faith and work community. And uh, most importantly, we look and try to have the type of questions that help us understand uh, what they really see as their identity. Again, mm. a, an entrepreneur that's really successful tends to have more problems with identity and anxiety than others. It's just my experience. So we try to be really careful about spending time uh, to kind of uncover that. And just like, how do you, you know, this business completely tanks. You know, how do, how do you feel about that? What does that look for? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And just really trying to understand about whether they have a performance-based work ethic and they're trying to earn their way to heaven or whether they really believe in the doctrine of grace. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Enough so that I'll just, I'll, I'll just underline it again. I believe that Christ follows in the marketplace have an unfair advantage. But most of us don't really tap into it. Uh, the unfair advantage is that when we can work out of gratitude for the gift given us, and we can bring all of our gifting to the altar, so to speak, I think that we have this, you know, tap into this, like, nuclear energy that allows us to do incredible work year after year and decade after decade with minimal fatigue. Not completely without fatigue, we're not perfect, but with minimal fatigue. I think that gives us an advantage over somebody who's secular that may be just uh, may be driven out of an insecurity or the lust for money or lust for life, which can be really powerful. Mm. It can lead to some incredible business success. But I don't think this is powerful as a, of a power source as this concept of bringing God everything out of glory uh, and bringing everything that you have to the altar. A number of Christians, I think, aren't as successful as being entrepreneurs because they stop just short of... Uh, really understanding that work can be a meaningful form of worship. Mm-hmm. So they say, you know, my real work can be done in ministry and some other places. 
I'm worried about uh, I'm worried about letting somebody go, or I'm worried about being really successful because I'm worried about what kind of idols that are creating my heart. And so I'm going to have a good business that's going to be successful, but I'm worried about being really, really successful uh, because I don't know that I can handle it or I don't know that that's Christian. And in Australia, they call that kind of a tall poppy syndrome. So people don't want to stand out. Mm. Um, but I think that uh, I think that there's some bad theology that can go into a, a Christian entrepreneur's life. But I think that if you can really, again, tap into this great thing like, oh my goodness, this God loves me so much, I can bring everything that I am and all my experiences, my meaningful form of worship, I think that does give Christian entrepreneurs a real strategic advantage. And I think that, uh, and I know that that's what we really look to do when we come alongside an entrepreneur, is to help remind them. And of course, in the process of reminding them, it reminds ourselves that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I think there's... Um, a lot of folks, and I, I'm sure I'm a culprit of this too, is that they don't make themselves known. Um, and, and, you know, almost being a Christian is, for some people, just like it's a hedging strategy to, you know, that if, if there is a God and if there is something, then this, then, you know, hopefully I, I can, I, I can make it to the other side type of, type of situation. And, and yeah. the, and the other thing too is I, 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 I like the, there's this like untapped, like, almost, you know, advantage that we have. And it's like, as you said, you know, that that's, we can tap back into the source. It's like, we're the rechargeable batteries that can, that can go back and, and get fueled up, get, get filled and then come out and then like provide light and energy to the world. Um, yes. so, yes. um, I know we're, we're closing in the last few minutes here. Um, so I, I just want to uh, hop, hop onto the last few questions I had. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, 10% of the work that you do in, is, you know, in personal, personal development, seeing what church community they're part of and, you know, how they can tap into small groups and what that looks like, uh, from a, I guess, more of a micro standpoint of where, of the conversations that you've had with entrepreneurs. Um, and then also, I would like to hear on the kind of the macro as a as a whole, where our nation is, or na- where the world is going. Where do you think the role of the church is playing in 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 helping people develop their faith or be part of a faith community? Um, and you know, it, we're seeing a lot more of um, of, ch- of you know these 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 big churches or mega churches, Hillsong, um, you know. Hillsong Life Church and these other ones in Saddleback and that are that are kind of changing the way that uh, and continuing to innovate in the way that they reach people. Um, what what have you seen as kind of the the future for for church and for faith communities? Well, so that's something that's definitely above my pay grade. But I mm. have opinions on all sorts of different things, so I'll offer one up. But with the caveat that <laughs> yep. I don't study church structure or church movements, modern day church movements, sure. other than being a member of a, a church. Mm-hmm. I can tell you one thing I feel semi-qualified to talk about is that uh, I think it's really important that churches can come to understand the different types of constituents that they have. Mm. And I think that many churches are poorly equipped to be able to love on and inspire and equip entrepreneurs. And there's some irony in that, of course, because you know church planners are some of the greatest entrepreneurs. And yet there's some level of... of uh, they just don't understand, many pastors don't understand business well enough to be able to really bring the message and the doctrine of grace 
and open up God's word in a way that can really speak to the needs of an entrepreneur or somebody's out there in the marketplace. And I think that many churches have an opportunity to be able to raise up lay leaders that can apply what the pastor is teaching uh, expositionally from scripture and can bring it in and discuss it within the context of what is going on in the entrepreneurial environment or in the workplace and uh, can have some real world illustrations that can be processed in community. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, I think that we miss an opportunity to allow for the fact that many people in our churches have special needs and are in special mission fields six days a week, mm-hmm. and we need to make sure that the message, scripture, is unpacked in a way that it makes it really real for them. And I think that more pastors need to be comfortable in talking about money, and I think that more pastors need to be comfortable in talking about identity. But you know, all these things are really best equipped when they're brought out in a real world example. And, you know, an average pastor will talk about the funny, cute thing that their two-and-a-half-year-old child did and talk about that in terms of, of, you know, being selfish or something like that. But we really need to be able to have people who are really gifted about being able to bring in real-world examples mm-hmm. of hiring people or firing people or here's what happened with my vice president of sales or here's what happened when I tried to get funding or something like that. I think that makes Scripture comes alive, come alive. And I think that the churches that get that, that raise up lay leaders under pastoral direction and supervision can bring together smaller fellowship of community of people who are like radiologists or mm-hmm. venture capitalists. But you know, we'll go ahead and that's the last thing I'll say because I'll free you up and I've got to go for another call as well, but uh, we do a great job of commissioning our missionaries that are going to go off to Rwanda or China or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tax season. It would be awesome if we went ahead and we commissioned our accounts. Now, this is a crazy time you're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be out there. You're going to be talking to your clients about money. It's going to be, you know, it's going to, you're going to be busy. You're going to be away from your family. And we want to acknowledge the fact that every day that you leave, you're an opportunity to love on people, which hopefully points them towards the God. And we want to commission you. That infrequently happens in our churches. And at least from what I understand, again, I'm out of my pay grade talking a lot about the way the churches work. But that's my supposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a thought. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I think in summary, uh, finding, finding, uh, or creating examples or maybe having people come in that can create and speak on examples of, of ways that, um, of, of, of practical conversations that really aren't being held as, as frequent as they should be, um, revolving around money. Um, so rather, you know, and, and that could be from a real life example from the pastor, or um, or bringing in somebody else that can that can speak on it as well. And I think um, we at at the church I was part of, National Community Church in D.C., we we had somebody come in and, and for you know and, and and for for the sermon and for about an hour spoke on the topic of giving, um, which was great. And I think it was something that was needed. And and he was able to to provide a bit more light on that. I, I really appreciate your time. Um, and yeah, I everything that you've mentioned today. And uh, I know you've got to run, so. I'll, I'll be praying for you off the line and, and just praying for audience as well. Tyler, it was really good being with you, and it was good being uh, welcomed into the, the cars and the, the iPods of a lot of your listeners, and, and my hope and prayer is that God will use some aspects of what he's done uh, and what he talked about to encourage them towards knowing him more and uh, uh, that uh, they'll always know and love him. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much.